0: Church family, it is an honor that we get the opportunity to come to you today from South Highland Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And the crazy thing about this space is that a body of believers started gathering here to worship Jesus in 1888. It's over a hundred years before I was even born, people were lifting up the name of Jesus from this space. And even as we're singing those songs with the scenery of stained glass windows and these pews, there's a sense of awe and wonder. And I hope that that is translating through the screen to where you are right now. And we wanted this gathering to have a different view because we know you're used to seeing us on stage at 323 Airport Road, but we thought a new year, maybe a new perspective would carry you into this year with a new opportunity to experience Jesus. And that's also why we're launching into a new sermon series and the title is called Views. One word, Views. And I gotta be honest with you, I've had planned to preach this sermon series all of 2020. And now that we're in a new year, I feel like God has held it off until now for this moment in someone's life individually. You know, the way you see something directly impacts how you relate to it. And the same is true about our relationship with God. And I actually believe that one glimpse of who Jesus is can change everything about someone's life. When you read the gospels, it's amazing how when Jesus gets involved in a situation, everything changes for individuals and for the group as a whole. And when you get a new perspective of who Jesus is, it doesn't just change how you see Jesus, it changes how you see the world. And we live in a time period where there are loud competing voices trying to tell us what our worldview should be on everything. And the problem with that is that so many of us don't even realize this, but we actually have a worldview that is more crafted by our own experience and opinions of what's happening in the world than it is crafted by the word of God. And I wanna challenge us in 2021 to check our worldview and ask ourselves, is it based on the lens of the scriptures and the gospel message of who Jesus is? And if I could push a little bit further, it's a new year. We might as well just get even more convicting at Auburn Community Church, and we're in a space like this. So I'm just gonna be so honest with you right now. I believe that the vast majority of us use the Bible as part of how we see the world in our lives but we do not view our entire worldview and the way we go about everyday life through the lens of the scriptures. It's like we use it for counseling. We use it to help us live our lives and give us some direction on who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian, but it's not our everything and it's not the lens by which we see everything in the world. And the reason why we have to talk about this is is one thing to have an emotional experience and have an encounter with Jesus, And it's a totally different thing to change your worldview based on meeting him and him living on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't get me wrong, I love emotional moments. I'm an emotional person, shocker. But I do believe that emotions can be fleeting and feelings can come and go. But when your worldview is set on who Jesus is, that's what leads to lifelong sustained obedience to God. And I'm being as honest as I can with you to start a new year because my heart is burdened by the massive number of people who walked away from their faith in 2020. 2020 was a hard year and it tried everyone on so many different levels. But for some of you, your faith got shaken up and you actually walked away from the God of the universe, not just because you couldn't feel him anymore, but it was actually because you didn't realize it, but your worldview was not based on the scriptures. It was based on your experiences. And so we're gonna take time to start this year and we're actually gonna be going through the gospel of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus from different perspectives of different people who had encounters with him. And we're asking this question, what does it mean for God's view of my life to become my view of the world? And what does it mean for the scriptures to define how I see the world around me, not my own experiences? And for too long, the world around us has not viewed the church as the space where their worldview is formed. The church is viewed as the space that's irrelevant. It's in the past. It's a museum to what was more than it is a movement of what could be. And at ACC, we actually believe that we get to be a part of spearheading a move of God where Jesus is seen as better than every other option for our lives. But here's the thing, that can't happen if we don't see Jesus clearly. So we gotta get our view of the world and our view of God on par with what the scriptures actually say so that we can be a part of this move of God, not just for a few years and not just for a fleeting moment, but for a sustained lifetime of obedience and a singular direction toward God. I'm ready to preach the word of God to you. And to start this, we're not gonna jump straight into the gospel of Mark. We're actually gonna go to the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, no Bible drill because I'm in a room by myself, you're gonna go ahead and turn to Romans chapter five and Romans is the ultimate view of the gospel from the apostle Paul. He actually wrote it to a church that he wished he could visit, but because he couldn't visit them and he needed to take up an offering from that church, he wrote down his full gospel message in Romans. And so if you've never read through the book of Romans and actually asked, is this how I see Jesus? And is this how I see the world? You need to. But well, we're jumping in in Romans chapter five, verses one through 11. And I believe these 11 verses are how we are called to see God and see ourselves and see the world around us. Romans chapter five, verse one, here's what it says. Paul says, therefore, and it's kind of unfair that I'm jumping in in chapter five because you really need to see what's before the therefore when Paul establishes that we are actually saved through faith alone because the father of our faith, Abraham was saved by God, considered righteous because he believed God. Paul is having to convince Christians who have believed for far too long that following God was about rule following and law keeping. He's having to convince them that this is all about faith. This is all about belief. This is all about trusting Jesus to do what you couldn't do and to live his life out on the inside of you. So Paul says, therefore, in light of that, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Those 11 verses are what it means to have a gospel worldview, And in what I just read, you have the story of how humanity was separated from God and brought back into a right relationship with God by grace, through faith in Jesus and given a brand new opportunity to have a right relationship with their heavenly father who loved them. Here's what I love in verse eight. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This series is gonna be deep in talking about things like theology and church history and some things that a few of us are gonna really enjoy when we talk about. But as deep as we're going into some of the content of the scriptures that we're gonna be talking about, I don't ever wanna graduate from this. God is a God of love. And until you view God as who he reveals himself to be in the scriptures, you're going to have a frustrating time trying to have a relationship with a God who you're not seeing rightly. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what's beautiful about the gospel. The gospel doesn't give you an opportunity to have a relationship with God on the backside of getting your life together. The gospel is not about graduating to a level of following Jesus where now God is pleased with you because you got it all together. The gospel meets you while we were yet sinners, while we were separated from God, while we deserved to go to hell, while everything in us was not likable or lovable. God loved us in Christ Jesus. And this view of who God is is what impacts our view of our lives, our view of who he is and our view of our role in the story. Jesus loves you so much and he talks about faith and he talks about grace and he talks about suffering and I love that in the midst of talking about a sovereign God who has made a way for us to have new life in him Paul says we suffer And for some of you, that's really hard for you to reconcile how you could be following a God who's so powerful and so in control, but yet your life could feel so chaotic and out of control. But I love in verse four, he talks about how suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, a gospel worldview gives you the capacity to understand that we are in a broken world where Jesus is the only solution to the brokenness of humanity. And it also allows for us to suffer in such a way where we don't lose our hope, where we don't quit when things get hard and we don't get to a place where we go, well, because the world looks like that, I don't believe in him. No, this I believe. Christ died to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And even if I have to suffer in the process of sharing that message, I don't suffer without hope and I don't suffer without purpose because actually that suffering is producing something in me and bringing out in me longstanding obedience to Christ. God. My heart is burdened and it's burdened for your Christianity to not just be a season of your life. It's burdened for your Christianity to not just be a part of your life on Sundays or a part of you because that's a popular thing to do living in the Auburn community. My heart is burdened for people who have a view of the gospel that defines everything about their relationships and the way they see their own role in the story. And it's in these scriptures where our hearts are awakened to the opportunity we have. What if we lived like we actually believe that? Like what if our lives turned into a reflection of a worldview that looks like Romans chapter five verses one through 11? What might happen in the church and what might happen in our day? And this is not me hyping you up about a new year because everybody gets hyped up at new years of like, they got their resolutions in place and this year is gonna be different. And I feel like that's elevated this year because it's like, get away 2020, it's a new year. Things are gonna be different. We got a new opportunity. Let's just be honest. A lot of those things are emotional. And as we get going through the course of a year, It's like, okay, that was just hype and feel good stuff and some minor changes that I'm making to my life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the era that we live in in redemptive history has given us an unprecedented opportunity for the gospel to go out to the whole world and has given us the opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God in a way that people never have before. Technology allows for this, but it's also, I love that the verse said, at just the right time, Christ died for us. God has a timing to things. See, there's things that have happened through the course of history where the church has been called to rise up at just the right time. Not many of you know about this, but 500 years ago, everything changed about the global church of Jesus Christ. The church was in a desperate place, a lost place, honestly. About 400 years had gone by of the Crusades, which I would say are some of the darkest days for the church where people were going to war and taking life in the name of a savior who proclaimed peace on earth. And after the Crusades, the church was not only depleted of influence and people, but they were depleted of money. And so what they decided to do was they decided to raise money through the sacraments and the leadership in what was called the Holy Catholic Church. Now, when I say Catholic, I'm just talking about the church because that was the church of Jesus Christ in the world. It was a little bit different on the Eastern side of things than the Western side of things. But for the most part, for 1500 years, there is one church led by the Pope. And the leadership in the Catholic church started using the sacraments as an opportunity to raise money in the church. And the corruption was widespread and leaders would try to influence governments and things got out of hand, but here's what happened. There was a group of people who started reading their Bibles and started interpreting what was happening in the church and what was happening in the world through the lens of the scriptures. And they rose up and they caused what was called the Protestant Reformation. Our church is a result of what happened 500 years ago. And that's not to say that if you have a friend who goes to a Catholic church, or if you come from a Catholic background that everything you believe is wrong, but you do need to know this, there is a huge difference in participating in Catholic theology and what we would call Protestant theology, which is founded upon the five solas of the Protestant Reformation that we'll get into today. But here's what you need to know about 500 years ago. There was a bold group of people who noticed the corruption that was happening and leaders like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Oreg Zwingli and so many that I can name and they're reading their Bibles and going, this is not okay. And this is not how this should work. And at the exact same time, there was technological innovation and the printing press was invented. And so now information was being shared at a level that it could never be shared before. And the Bible was starting to get tra- getting translated in the languages that it had never been translated in before. For the most part, you had to know Latin to truly know the Bible for yourself. And so many people were illiterate. And now books are being written and information is being shared and people are getting awakened to the fact that the church should not look like this. The church should not be something that's taking advantage of people or irrelevant on the side the church should be the place where the world is running to to get clear vision about why they are here and who god is in the first place and so these bold men and women stood up and caused this movement and i just believe that if we return to some of the pillars of what founded that movement 500 years ago we could see something similar or even greater in our day on planet earth. The technological innovation that has happened in the last 50 years is astounding. My ability to be preaching this message to the number of people who are listening to me right now in the places that they are listening to right now, mind blowing. And that opportunity is not accidental. That opportunity is not for entertainment. That opportunity is for gospel advancement. And so if we can return with a gospel worldview that invites people into the story right where they are, what might God do? And this is not me saying that i think our church is special or different than any other church but our church has been given a significant level of gifting to be able to stay true to the bible and absolutely not compromise on what the scriptures say and be 100 percent committed to the grace of god and invite people to a right relationship with their heavenly father wherever they are and we want to invite you to participate in that but we're not going to cause something like that without pure, unadulterated devotion to God on our knees. We're not gonna cause something like that with emotional moments of worship. We're gonna be a part of something like that when we get our views straight. And so 500 years ago, there were these five pillars called the five solas of the Reformation. And actually, each one of these things was a response to what was wrong in the Catholic church 500 years ago. And so what our churches are actually founded upon are five different views that are responses to what was wrong. And so what I wanted to do in this space is I wanted to tell you your worldview is always going to be evolving you're always gonna be gaining new experience and learning from other people's opinions and changing the way you think about things. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that we need to be closed-minded Christians who are over here going, no, 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 I just gotta stay right here and I'm not gonna learn anything out there from anybody else. No, it's always evolving. But there are certain things that have to be set in stone that you do not compromise on. And 500 years ago, the leaders of this movement said, these are the things, we won't compromise on this. We won't have a conversation about this. We won't think about maybe graduating to a new level of revelation. These are the five things that we stand on for what it means to be saved by God and live out our lives on purpose. And I wanna share each one of them with you and have you set them in stone. And what's so cool is that this church actually has bricks that they would put on the side over by a stained glass window that show the five solas of the Reformation. And somebody on our staff team said, we should film this gathering in this space because of where those bricks are sitting. And so I wanna share each one with you one at a time. And it's gonna be new information for a lot of you, but for some of you, this is going to blow your mind. The first one is called sola gratia. These are Latin words that I'm gonna give you the definition for. So the first sola is called grace alone. We are saved by grace alone. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Grace is the free gift of God. We do not contribute in any way toward having a right relationship with God. It is a free gift to be received. And this favor that God has given us, by the way, this is not just unmerited favor. When you get unmerited favor from God, that means he gives you something that you didn't deserve, which none of us deserved. grace. We deserve to be separated from God because of our sins. But it's not just unmerited favor, this is how good God is, it's demerited favor. And demerited favor means not just getting what you didn't deserve, it means getting the opposite of what you truly deserved. While you deserved hell for your sin, you got heaven in Jesus's place. The gospel is the greatest exchange in all of the universe because Jesus takes our sins on the cross. We take his righteousness and this is just because your God is that good. Oh my gosh, church, if you could get a vision of the goodness of God, it'll change your life forever. We've got to raise our view of how good our God is. God is not burdened to do us favors from heaven. He actually enjoys blessing us and pouring out favor and calling us his children because he enjoyed creating us and delights in us. Sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone. And this is not just how God wants to save you. This is how God wants to sustain you. Too many of us try to accept the grace of God and get saved and then graduate to a new level of obedience to God where we no longer need his grace. No, you need his grace not just to be forgiven. You need his grace to walk freely. And you need grace to become the sustaining power that carries you every day of your life. Because God didn't just give you grace in the past on the cross. He's got grace and new mercies today for you to walk in the life Jesus died for you to live. It's called sola gratia. Let me put that one aside and show you a new one. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That's number two, sola fide. And if you want to, you can look at somebody around you and say sola fide. You can practice your Latin. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That Ephesians verse says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And Paul goes into full detail in the book of Romans of why it had to be faith, because faith is not our ability to believe in God enough and be saved. Faith is our agreement with God that if we have any part to play in the equation, we will fail. Faith puts it all on God. And God actually put this as a part of the story from the beginning when he called a man named Abram who became Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, there's this verse that says this, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God cannot give you righteousness on the basis of your behavior because your sin that you were born into mandates hell and separation from God but God can impute righteousness on your behalf through something called faith. And when the Bible says God credited Abram's faith as righteousness, it shows this pattern in the story of the scriptures where God is willing to take our belief and impute the righteousness of God on the inside of us. What does that mean for you today? It means that a right relationship with God is on the other side of trusting that it's already yours in Jesus, not yours to be gained through approval or more behavior modification. We are saved by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fide. And faith is only as valuable as the thing that you trust in. So if you, like, if you jumped out of an airplane and and you parachuted, obviously, because that's the only way you're gonna live through that. I'm getting into this illustration and automatically going, you need to explain this to them, Miles. If you jump out of an airplane and you use a parachute to live through that experience and you get to the bottom and somebody goes, hey, what saved you from falling to your imminent death? What if you said this? What if you said, my faith saved me? I believed I was going to live. You would go, no, no, no. Your faith did not save you. Your faith was only as valuable as the object that you put it in the parachute saved you. Your faith was in pulling the lever so that the parachute could do its job. So yes, faith is a huge part of this, but don't just talk about faith without talking about what's in the middle. And what's in the middle is what your faith is in. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In what? In who? Christ alone, solus Christus. Christ alone. And even as I'm talking about every single one of these things, I get goosebumps thinking about how 500 years ago, the church was able to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We don't partner with God for our salvation and do sacraments that contribute toward God accepting us. Jesus did it all by grace through faith in him, in him. It's not about an office that somebody is in because there were things being taught and they're still taught to this day that there are leaders in the church, namely the Pope who have the power to say what God says. And we say, no, by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And this one in particular is I would say the most controversial of the five because we live in a world that doesn't want to hear that Jesus alone is the way to heaven and a way to a right relationship with God. The latest statistics say 65 to 70% of American Christians actually believe there are other ways to God other than believing in Jesus. Because it seems a little bit mean to say that you have a worldview that only has one opportunity to get to God. It seems exclusive, but we actually need to open up our worldview to understand that it's not that there's only one way to God. We should be overwhelmed that there is a way at all. So we love to get all upset and go, oh, well, we're saying that they're wrong and they're wrong and they're wrong and we're right. No, we're saying there is no way to get to God. God came to us in Jesus. And the fact that there is a way is amazing. John 14, verse six, what does it say? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was inclusive to anyone and everyone who would accept him, but he was very exclusive in his call. I am the only way and our faith, our church, our lives are founded by grace through faith and it is all in Jesus. We go to our graves holding on to one name for dear life. In the book of Acts, Peter dropped this verse and said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given mankind by which we must be saved so as christians when we make up our mind that our worldview is not going to be swayed when the world tells us oh my gosh you're so exclusive and you leave other people out and you're so hateful and you're so spiteful we understand that jesus alone as the means for salvation is our only hope for salvation So we're not trying to be mean and exclusive. We're trying to be truthful and tell people there's a way to God and there's a way to hope. And if it is true that there is only one way, we have to believe him and trust him. You're like, why do I have to believe him and trust him? Because he said he was going to die and come back and then did it. If you would like to have a worldview that has a different option as the cornerstone and the founding piece, that's fine. Just make sure they're able to call their own resurrection and pull it off in three days. We put our faith in Jesus because of the resurrection. And we believe for eternal resurrection because he invites us to share with him. How are we saved? How do we live? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus. And then number four, and this one gets me super passionate. From scripture alone, sola scriptura. most fun one to say and it's the easiest way to spit on your neighbor if you have someone next to you sola scriptura we believe that the word of god is inerrant and infallible inspired by the holy spirit 66 books brought together by human authors but breathed by god and we believe what the bible says god says and we believe what the bible implies god implies now the problem For so many of you in hearing that is noticing how many things in the Bible you don't understand and how many things in the Bible are used by people who are smarter than you to prove that the Bible is off. I just wanna invite you to actually take the time to explore the scriptures and ask yourself whether or not these books are reliable because history speaks for itself, but also the word of God speaks for itself. If you look into the Holy Scriptures and see the cohesiveness of the story of God from the beginning until now, and how God miraculously inspired these writers, you will come to understand that your, your faith is not built on a historical document that's irrelevant now. You will find the most alive and active document that's really the word of life bringing you to life today. And if you don't find that out for yourself, you'll just listen to passionate speakers like me talk about it, but you'll wonder whether or not that's really true about you. And that's why when life shakes you up and you start suffering and you start going through something in your family or you start watching what happens in the world and you notice your faith being shaken, it's not your faith that's being shaken. It's the fact that your faith was never built on reading the Bible for yourself and figuring out whether or not this worldview is your worldview, scripture alone. And I believe this is the biggest one that we got to return to this year. If we're going to have a right view of who Jesus is and we're going to have a right view of our place in the world, we got to come back to the Bible. Why? Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so when we set our lives on the word of God, we get this amazing opportunity to not bank on something that we're just hoping is true. We get the inspired, spoken, breathed word of God that is flawless when it goes out. And as we're talking about devotion and prayer, I just wanna invite us as a church, can we be a church that stays rooted in the scriptures? Because when Jesus quoted the scriptures, he didn't quote them as something written by human authors. He quoted them as what was said by God. If you read stories like in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus says you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God, that's amazing. Jesus equated knowing the scriptures with knowing God's power. That it wasn't about head knowledge, it was about walking in the power of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the way this is done. But when when Jesus was quoting the Bible, he said, have you not read what God said to you? Which is interesting. Because Moses is the one who wrote what Jesus is quoting, but Jesus quotes it in a way where he says, God said this. And we have to learn to interpret the Bible in context and see the whole world through it and go, no, this is not just a document written by human beings that was contrapted, not contracted, <laughs> that was put together. This is the living, breathing, and active word of God. And that's what happened 500 years ago. People were reading their Bibles and they were looking at the church and they were looking around at the world and going, Yeah, we got to do something. And they actually tried to reform the church that they were a part of and they were kicked out and they were called protesters or Protestants. But what they were protesting was that there would be another center for what we believe other than the Bible. And we need to return to this, we are saved. We live by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from scripture alone, sola scriptura. And then the last one is the why, why? We are saved for God's glory alone, soli Deo gloria. There's a purpose in all of this. This is not just information that we're talking about. God is working things out for an end. And the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our enjoyment of a relationship with God goes hand in hand with his glory going out all over the universe. So what is God's glory? It's a really churchy word that you need to know the definition of. This is God's beauty, God's perfection, the awe of his presence going out and being enjoyed on a wide scale. God enjoys being made much of. And before you hear that and go, oh, he's like so self-centered. Of course he's self-centered, he's God. When you're God, what else are you going to center yourself on? So he creates humanity in love, and gives us the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with him. And our enjoyment of knowing him leads to his glory going out all over the world. How does God wanna be glorified in our day? He wants to be glorified through Christians who enjoy walking with him more than they enjoy anything else in this world. And so all of this is not just for head knowledge that we can all get together and go, okay, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, let's read the Bible together. It's so that we can enjoy delighting in God and worship him with radiating faces that say, I enjoy the glory of God more than I enjoy the sin that mires this world. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from scripture alone, for God's glory alone. And church, I put those bricks up there because I want you to have a physical picture of what you are not willing to compromise on. I want to invite you to challenge your worldview. I want you to invite God into that process and say, God, I want to have a picture of you in my mind and heart that's clear, but I want to develop that and let you be the one who defines that. But I want you to know, If you are a believer in Jesus, we never, ever, ever compromise on any one of those things. And here's what I believe, as we go through this series in the gospel of Mark, and as we take on new ground together as a church, if we are a group of people who knows where we stand on what matters most, we are able to relate to anyone and everyone and guide them into the only truth that can really help them. And so I hope this was helpful, but more than I hope this was helpful, I hope it was worshipful because more than God wants your emotion, he wants your devotion. And as we're worshiping God together and as we close this gathering singing praise to God, I want you to ask this simple question. Is your worldview centered on the word of God and who Jesus is? And if it's not, would you invite God into that story and say, God, I don't wanna just believe in you when it feels good or when there's a worship song playing. I wanna build my life on the cornerstone only foundation that can hold me through the storm in church family. I am literally freaking out dreaming of what God has the capacity to do in and through us. It's not an accident that we didn't gather everybody in a building today. We're dispersed all over because we're getting ready to head out as one faith family. And what if we went out, not just with emotional feelings about the goodness of God, but what if we went out, Bibles in hand going, there is hope and grace and peace for a broken world in need of a savior. So I'm gonna close this time with a word of prayer and I'm gonna ask that you wouldn't just listen to me pray, but that you would join in on this prayer because where the people of God are set on these things and they combine that with heartfelt surrender and prayer, God can do something powerful. So would you pray with me and ask God what it would look like for you to set your worldview on him and him alone. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this space. God, I just sense your spirit going out through this word and I ask that as you're, moving in people's lives in so many different ways that I can't see, that you would be faithful to build your church on the truth of your son. God, that the glory of Jesus would be our ambition above all things. I pray that this is a foundational setting moment in the life of our church. And because we know what we believe about you, God, we're gonna have a worldview that gives the whole world an opportunity to see who you really are. God, we surrender to you. We sing to you, our hearts are yours and yours alone. And we ask you Jesus to do something in our day. I pray that what happens through your church right here and right now would far exceed what happened 500 years ago or anything all the way back to the beginning because I believe, I truly believe God, you have saved the best for now and we get to be a part of it. Help us to wake up to the moment that we're in and enjoy it for your glory. We give you our lives in the only name that we can pray in, in the only name where we know our prayers are heard, and the only name that holds our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.